0: Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Chronicles 4? We've come to verse 24. This is going to be a long, mostly reading and a comment here and there. Same pattern that we've looked at still follows. Here's the deal. When we finished 1 Samuel, obviously, we came to 2 Samuel And both of those books are the same book in the Hebrew Bible. And it seamlessly moves from the last chapter of 1 Samuel to the first chapter of 2 Samuel. But when we come to 2 Samuel, chronologically, 1 Chronicles runs parallel to that time frame. So we're considering where we're headed and what we're looking at is the reign of David as king. We came to the death of Saul in 1 Samuel, the last part of 1 Samuel. So it moves right into the events that quickly in 2 Samuel bring David to the throne which is what the covenant of God lined up for David. The reign of David over Israel is a, is a very important part of history, especially the history of God's people. So here's where we've come so far. We've looked at all of these genealogies. They seem endless, and I know it's, as I said earlier, it's like chewing a rubber band. But there has meaning in what we've done to this point, and we keep it in the back of our minds because we've already compared world history with history from God's point of view. God's history is the history of redemption. if you were back in school and you were taking world history, you wouldn't be reading the things that we read except maybe a thing here or there. But from a biblical perspective, all of the things that are happening in the world among the nations during the time of these genealogies that we're studying are only relevant as to how God chooses to raise up a nation or put down a nation or whatever so that the purpose of redemption and the promise of redemption moves flawlessly uh, straight through the uh, history of God's people right to the fulfillment of when Christ comes the first time and from there right through to the time Christ comes the second time. This is the only thing that is relevant about the history of the world as to how as to how I didn't bring my phone Uh, as to give me a Bible I'll just do it the old fashioned way let me use your Bible. The Bible app's good. Get me to Deuteronomy 32. I think I remember where I left it. I, it's, okay, let's see. What version is this? Okay, ESV, ESV is a good one. Deuteronomy 32 and verse eight. When the Most High, that's El Elyon, that is the high recognition of the sovereign ruling God who is in absolute authority. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided the root of the word is that we don't have a Hebrew here, but it's the sons of Adam. Mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according, this translation says, according to the number of the sons of God. Now, the word number comes from a Hebrew word that means accounting. However, God was moving Israel. at this this time in history, in Deuteronomy. This is, this is what determined how God would fix the borders and his dealings with the rest of the world, with, with the nations of the world and the peoples. There are different words here in the Hebrew. One is nations, one is peoples. And so, When he moved upon the world apart from Israel, he did it for the sake and the cause of Israel because they are at this point, they are his elect people. They have a covenant with God. God has a covenant with them. God assumes the responsibility of uh, of fulfilling that covenant. And nothing is going to stop the fulfillment of the covenant. So it begins with the seed of woman after the fall of man and then the covenants come. God made a covenant that the seed of woman would bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent would bruise his heel and he would bruise the serpent's head. The seed of woman The woman has no seed. But the reference is to the fact that it would be a virgin born savior. Now he moves quickly the Lord God of Shem. So it becomes obvious that God's purpose for redemption will come to Shem, the oldest of Noah's sons. So the Shemite or Semitic people... Carry a promise that falls to Haber, who is the first one whose people were called Hebrews or Hebrews. Among the Hebrews was Abram, who became Abraham. And Abram was given a covenant by God. He was in Ur the Chaldean, he was, as an old preacher used to say, he was as lost as a ball in high weeds, and he had no idea there was one true and living God. He was worshiping the moon God. Until God, by grace, divinely intervened in his life, spoke to him, called out to him, called him to himself, made him a covenant. And then the covenant was that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abram, or Abraham as he became later. God specifically carries that covenant through Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah one of the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. After that, the covenant then falls to David. David makes, uh, God makes a covenant with David. Much of what David, much of the circumstances of David's life are in type, they are Typological as to the person of the Christ. So that after David then, the world looked for the king of God's kingdom who would be called the son of David. Now, of course, that fell to the Christ of God. So, we look at these genealogies. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done this. And just to remind you that these seemingly endless genealogies and these these names that a lot of people hiccup over when they try to pronounce them have a purpose. Every name, every person, every place, the Holy Spirit of God is not wasting his breath. And so in, in the chronicler's chronicle, We think it was Ezra, but nobody knows for sure. The the genealogies are not like real early in Genesis, for example. They're the same, but they jump around for a purpose. And the purpose, then, is to establish within the elect of God... how relative the other tribes are to Judah who, is the, who, who becomes the chief and the biggest and the prevailing of the 12 tribes. Judah and David within Judah they carry the promise of the Christ. So all the world is doing all their stuff and and we, we saw the, the world history chronologically. We looked at it a couple, of three weeks ago. and We compared it to the chronicles, the genealogy that we're looking at here in chronicles. And how these unheard of people, these plain people, they live in a valley, they, they have goats and sheep and stuff and they get mad at one another and the other people get mad at them and things happen. But these things are in the divine control of God because the Christ of God is involved in all this thing. Though he can't be seen. On his deathbed, Jacob didn't even know what to call him except to call him the one who brings me peace. Shalom, Shalom. My peace giver. That's all he knew to call him, David. David knew that the ark was the type Of the Christ, and they were moving the ark from one place to another. And David simply referred to the Christ as the name. That's all he knew to call him. He didn't have any other way to name him because he was still yet to come. But the promise is just as real to these people in these chronicles and the genealogy, generation after generation, as he is today to us who can look back on what Christ has done in his earthly life, in his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and even enthronement. So when we are looking to just to remind us as we continue in these chronicles, and I said it's going to be a it's going to be a rather lengthy list. We're going to look at, and make a comment here and there. When we look at this, we are seeing the hand of God move in the families of his elect that God knows where every one of them are. God knows, matter of fact, God put them where they are. We'll see that. This is how divinely sovereign God is. It it is pointed out here in the Chronicles, hey, these guys were over here and they're the ones who settled there. These guys were leaders Among the people. And so the decisions that were made that positively led the people of God through the era in which they lived was by the divine and almighty hand of a sovereign God who knew where they were, who they were, who their kids were, what their kids were going to do, how the land would be affected by these people being there. All of this is leading us then to the reign of David. That's what it's all about. So the reason we're doing 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel sort of simultaneously is because we will see the same time frame in both books when we get past the genealogy, which is setting the stage for those who who revere the word of God and the history of the Bible and, and the great work of God and his people, these, these genealogies aren't just to be passed over, but they are to be pondered upon and thought about with a view to the redemption of God's people through the work of the Redeemer, namely the Christ of God. So he is the last Adam, and here he comes, right? He's coming they, get more, they have more and more knowledge as the Old Testament goes, as the prophets come along. So that they can, even by the time of the Old Testament, not only do they know the family from whence he comes, and they know that he is of the house of David, such that Joseph and Mary had to go when Caesar Augustus called for a census. And even that was of God. So that the world would see, hey... The prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem and they come for their census and God is in control. He even had the mind and the, the will and the decree of Caesar Augustus in his hand and he makes the decree. Then the wise men just happened to be at the right place at the right time to warn Joseph and Mary about the wrath of Herod and they flee and go into Egypt and that fulfills a prophecy and then they make their way back and all that Christ does fulfills the prophecies of his first coming now back in these days as 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 the word of God is given line upon line and precept upon precept And the prophets come along, now they know he'll be born in Bethlehem. And Daniel, through none other than the voice of Gabriel, tells God's people the time frame when he will be born. At the issuing of a decree, and the very date of that decree is in the Bible, to decree that God's people can leave their captivity and go back to their land until 69 sevens have passed, seven year periods, one right after the other. The time frame in a lunar calendar, 69 seven year periods, according to the lunar calendar, the, the Hebrew calendar, the Christ of God would come to the people, talks about Jerusalem and all these things, but that he would not receive the kingdom and he would be, he would be in the Hebrew, he would be murdered cut off, murdered. That would shut down the first 69 sevens. And there is this mystery that lasts until the 70th seven. But when the church comes along the day of Pentecost and all of these things, the mystery is no longer a mystery. People of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation are called to come to their redemption because God has flawlessly and inerrantly moved his people through time and has moved the nations through time so that the Redeemer would come. Ever since his ascension, I tell you, the world, the nations of the world, the people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ have moved invariably to the final time, the last of days, when at last the Christ of God would come. Things are happening today and, and you know, people can't stop it. Because God said these things would happen and they're converging altogether. That's why these genealogies. Are so important. God is leading us. He's leading you and me. And He led them through every kind of circumstance that you can imagine. So we're looking at survivors and losers. As God begins to detail the genealogy of the survivors and the geography of the land to keep it in the control that it might be fulfilled according to what the prophets had said. So First Chronicles 4, we'd come to verse 24. So let's look at it here. The survivors. The first section is a genealogy. The sons of Simeon. Okay. Well, I'll talk about it as we get there. Nimuel, Jamin, Jarib, Zerah, Saul, Shalom, his son Mibsam, his son Mishma, His son and the sons of Mishma, Hamuel, his son, Zakur, his son, Shemi. Okay, Shemi here now becomes the guy that we're supposed to pay attention to. And Shemi had 16 sons and six daughters. But you'll notice what, what the Bible says. But his brothers did not have many sons. And all their family did not multiply as much as did the children of Judah. Simeon is, he's, he's under an indictment, he and Levi, because of what they did to those guys back in Genesis. They deceived them and and these guys were they were from a family that was a wealthy, well-to-do family, and so they came and sat down with Israel and his sons, and they said, We sure would like to get to know your daughters better. And so Simeon and Levi said, Well, you'll have to be circumcised first. Oh, okay. So they have a little drinking party and these guys submitted to circumcision, a bunch of them, a bunch of guys. And while they were sleeping it off and while everything was going on and while they were sore from circumcision, Levi and Simeon took swords and just brutally murdered all of them. That didn't go over well. So Simeon is mentioned here, but a part of the tribe of Simeon stays close to the people of Judah. So they sort of become a barrier between enemies that might come toward Judah from one direction. Simeon, they were good fighters. So we have this list of Simeon. But all of the families of, of Simeon, just, they just didn't multiply like the children of Judah. Judah, as a matter of fact, just, just the tribe of Judah outnumbered all of the other 11 put together. That's how big the tribe of Judah was. Why? Because Judah carried the promise of the Christ. Why did Caleb, who was a Kenizzite, which means he was an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, why is he, a descendant of Esau, seen in the Exodus as aligned with Judah. It's very clear. His name, Chalib, his name means wholehearted. It's very clear that he means to be as close to the promise of the Christ as he can be. And so he aligns himself with Judah. Now, the Simeonites here take something of an important role. Now, uh, here, After the genealogy, the geography is explained. Why is is all this like this? God is saying, hey, I know what I'm doing. I will will control the nations of the world. I don't care how strong and mighty they are. And I don't care how weak my people may appear to be. I will see to it that my people survive and move according to my will. And I'll put them where I want to put them. You ever thought of that? Well, preachers think of that all the time. They dwelt in Beersheba, and Molada, and Hazar, and Shual, and Beha, and Azim, and in Tolad, and Bethul, and in Hormah, and Ziklag, and in beth Markabat and in Hazar-Susim, Beth-Beri, and Sha'araim. These were their cities until David reigned. The Simeonites, now you'll remember, remember this. We've talked about this. In the time of David and Saul, one group would be like the Democrats and the other one would be like the Republicans. You either stood with Saul or David. So considering the way things were going, the descendants of Simeon, a certain group of, not all of them, but a certain remnant of the, of the Simeonites. They get closer to Judah because when David becomes king, he first is king over Judah. And then after a while, he assumes the reign of the whole kingdom of Israel. The rest of them will join in. So when David becomes king, where God had put the Simeonites and where they were in control and had built cities and had a fairly prosperous life, now those people are just absorbed into David's reign in Judah. This strengthens David in the south. And their villages, Etam, Ain, Remon, Tochen, and Ashan, five cities, all of their villages that were around these cities up to Baal, this was the account of their settlements. And they had their genealogical records, so you know who they were, and now you know where they are. They are who they are because God made it that way. They are where they are because God made it that way. This is what we're being taught. The leadership that kept things fairly stable. Meshab Jamlech Joshah, the son of Amaziah, Joel, Jehu, the son of Joshibia, the son of Saraiah, the son of Asiel, El Johannai and Ja'achobah, and Jehohai, and Asai, and Adiel, and Jesimiel and Beniah, and Ziza the son of Shafi, Alon the son of Jediah, the son of Shemri, the son of Shemaiah, now, the chronicler, the one who writes the chronicles, draws from military records, from records of the priests and the synagogues and the the tabernacle, which later would be the temple, and these records always agree but some of them are according to another dialect within the Hebrew language and here Shemaiah is the same guy as Shemi if you remember that guy about three slides back so pay attention there will be a test these mentioned by name were princes they were leaders rulers you could use for that word in their families and their father's house spread exceedingly. Again, a source of strength for the impending reign of David. The geographically oriented history. They went to the entrance of Gedor until the east of the valley to, to seek pasture for their sheep. And they found fat and good pasture and the land was spacious and quiet, tranquil for the dwellers of Yor were from Ham. And these recorded by names in the days of King Jehezekiah. That's actually Hezekiah is who that guy is. So we just call him Hezekiah. King Hezekiah of Judah came and they smote their tents and dwellings. They were found there and they destroyed them to this very day and dwelt instead of them because there was pasture for the sheep there. So they said, hey, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stay here. This is good. Because this is good for our sheep. And of them five hundred men of the children of Simeon went to Mount Seir, and Platia. and Nearia. and Raphael and Uziel, the sons of Ishi, at their head, and they smote the remnant of the Amalekites that had escaped, and they were and they dwelt there. To this day, so that would, the the chronicler probably wrote maybe in the 500s or so, 400s B.C. So they were there to this day. 500 men of the children of Simeon smote the remnant. Now, they, I have a question mark there. This is in the time frame give or take 50 years, if, if you remember back in 1 Samuel, in this time frame, Saul smote the Amalekites, and then later, David smote the Amalekites. So probably it is this, it happened when David was king, and most likely Simeon, who had aligned itself with Judah, joined in with David, and gave him a little extra uh, bit of an army so that the Amalekites would certainly fall. And they had certainly earned their place in David's eyes to dwell uh, in that place. But it strengthens the position of David. We'll, we'll see that later on when we finally get to that. Now, what about the losers? We're going to move into chapter 5 now of 1 Chronicles. Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the firstborn of Jacob. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, who was the son of Israel, but not to be reckoned in the genealogy as firstborn. Reuben went to bed with one of his father's concubines. Now, Verse two, because Judah prevailed over his brothers and the one appointed as ruler was, I I didn't put my space there. Uh, Appointed as ruler was to be from him, but the birthright belonged to Joseph. Now look at this again. Judah prevailed over his brothers. The appointed ruler. Now that's of course the Christ of God. First it would be King David, then the son of David. So it gives an explanation of why Judah now becomes preeminent and why Reuben doesn't have a birthright anymore, be, even though he's a firstborn. And that, of course, comes from what we studied back in Genesis. The sons of Reuben, the first, who is the firstborn of Israel, Hanoch, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Joel, Shemaiah, his son, Gog, his son, Shemaiah, his son, Mikha, his son, Riaiah, his son, Baal, his son, Be'erah, his son. There are two ways you will see this guy, this king of Assyria, you'll see his name back in uh, Isaiah. It's it's spelled a little different here, but it's Tiglath-Pileser. Who's the king of Assyria? Now, Assyria defeated the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital of which was Samaria, which had split off in the time of Rehoboam, the grandson of David. And so there was the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. More than 200 years before Judah fell to the Babylonians, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians the invading and victorious king Tiglath-Pileser. When it says he exiled them, it means that he kicked them out of their land, dispersed them. He was the prince of the Reubenites, Be'erah, and his companions, each one to his families, tracing their genealogy to their generations. The heads were Jael and Zechariah. All right, so... Now we're up to the time of the defeat of the northern kingdom but God still knows who they are and where they are because at the end of the tribulation or even during the tribulation the 12 tribes are known by God during that time. Belah the son of Azaz, the son of Shema, the son of Joel, he dwelled in Aror, and until Nebo and Baalmion. Eastward he dwelled until the approach, now you'll see, Joel, okay, he has the name of God, but he doesn't have Ah or Yah, so he's just talking about general God, not Yahweh. But now, look at, look at some of their names, they're named after Baal. And eastward, he, so the problem is beginning to be revealed just in their genealogy, their names, Eastward he dwelt until the approach to the desert from the Euphrates River, for their cattle multiplied in the land of Gilead, and in the days of Saul they made war with the Hagarites, and they fell into the hand into their hands, and they dwelt in their tents over the entire face, face of the east of Gilead. So the explanation is: here's why these people are living among these people, because this happened. And God allowed it to be so. The sons of Gad dwelt opposite them in the land of Bashan until Salkha. Joel was the head. Shafam was the second in command and Janai and Shaphat in Bashan. And their brothers to the house of their fathers, Mikael and Meshulam and Sheba and Jorai, Jahan, Zia and Eber, seven sons. You'd put parentheses sons. There were seven of them. These are the sons of Abihail, the son of Hori, the son of Jaroah, the son of Gilead, the son of Mikael, the son of Jeshishai, the son of Jado, son of Boz. Ahi, the son of Abdiel, the son of Guni, was the head of the house of their fathers. They dwelt in Gilead in Bashan and in his villages, all his suburbs, and Sharon until their limits. They all traced their genealogies in the days of Jotham, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam king of Israel still keeping the people in line with his purpose knowing where they are and letting these areas develop according to his will so we get into this close to the closing part the sons of Reuben the Gadites and the half men of the Manasseh of, of men of valor Men who bear shields and swords, who draw the bow, uh, bow who were trained for war, 44,760 going out to war, and they made war with the Hagarites and Jatur and Nafish and Nodab. Now, this kind of thing wouldn't be lost to a king. How, how skilled they were in a particular time. And they were assisted against them, and the Hagarites. All who were with them were delivered into their hands for they cried out to Elikim in the battle and he accepted their prayers because they trusted in him. It's put into the narrative that the only reason they were, the, they were able to win the war is because they called out to God and God controlled the circumstances. They captured their cattle the camels 50,000, flocks 250,000, donkeys 2,000 and humans being 100,000. For many fell slain, for the battle was from Elohim, and they dwelt in their place until the exile, which is the time in the north they were dispersed, enslaved by Assyria, forced to intermarry with other nations. So now, the eastern half of Manasseh and their common history. The sons of half-tribe Manasseh dwelt in the land from Bashan unto Baal-Hermon, and Seneir and Mount Harmon. they multiplied. And these are the heads of their father's house, Ephir and Ashia, and Eliel and Azrael and Jeremiah, Jeremiah. it says. And Hodavia and Jadiel, mighty men of valor, famous men, heads of their father's house. Why is that in there? Well, it tells us that the people who are surrounding the people who carry the promise of the Christ have a reputation and they're not going to be easily pushed over. So God had it all taken care of at all times. But then they went bad. And they played the harlot to the God of their fathers or against the God of their fathers. And they strayed after the gods of the peoples of the land whom Elohim had destroyed before them. Now this is the northern kingdom and this is why Tiglath-Pileser defeated them. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, the king of Assyria, namely Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. Okay. You have to look at this closely because he's called Pul in the Babylonian tongue and in the Assyrian tongue Tilgat Pelnese or Tiglath Pileser—it's the same guy. He is the king of Assyria. Same guy. Given so, there's no mistaking who the guy is. So you can look at any of the history tablets in those days, and you can know it's the king of Assyria. This is the guy that brought them down. Why did they come down? Because the God of Israel brought them down. He stirred up. The spirit of a pagan king to bring his people into captivity and into dispersion because they disobeyed him. And he exiled to captivity the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And he brought them to Hala and Habor and Hara and the Gozan River until this day. I'm we'll stop there. I'm out of breath. We'll have our deacon prayer time.